Hi everyone, this is Georgiana with a new episode of Employer Branding, the Inside Podcast. And today, for the first time since I've been doing this podcast, I'm interviewing two people at the same time, which is going to be brand new and hopefully really nice both for me and for them. And so my guests today are Konstantis Livovsky from Kaisha Recruitment, founder and managing director, am I right? Welcome. Good morning, Konstanti. Thanks for having me. And Oliver Aust, Managing Director and Founder of EOIPSO Communications. Hi, Oliver. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. And uh, the reason we met today is because we'd like to go through some important aspects of employer branding in general. We'll be discussing company culture, company values. I would say the overall communication process when it comes to employer branding also the recruitment process and the importance, the importance of a very well put together recruitment process for, for the economy of an employer brand. And um, yeah, we are, we are going to be asking questions one another, which is quite a new format for, for this podcast, an interview uh, among three people. And uh, we are going to start if that's okay with you guys. Unless of course, you'd like to say some more about what you guys do. I think that's also important, introducing ourselves maybe a little more extensively, no? Sure, happy happy to do so. Mm -hmm. uh, so thanks for having me on the podcast. It's an Absolutely. absolute pleasure to be to be here. And, you know, as a podcast host myself, uh, I, I always enjoy these conversations, especially in this format of three people where we get to explore what we, what we know. My personal background is 20 years in recruitment and leadership as well as executive mm -hmm. search within tech and product. I'm very much a proponent of the importance of employer branding and how employer branding is reflected in your hiring process. My company, Kesa, is very much Kesa, okay. is very much a company focused on how your organization is represented to the candidate market, how mm -hmm. your organization mm -hmm. is able to process a candidate's hiring in a way that reflects them as a employer, them as a organization, as well as the management team in an effective and engaging way that would ensure that candidates feel that it is the right place for them to work to and work ultimately in. put their time, effort and life into. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, that's a little bit of an introduction about me, but we, we will cover a lot more in this podcast mm -hmm. episode today. Thank you, Constanti. Oliver, please. Yeah, thank you for having me. So very much looking forward to this conversation as well. And I think it's, it's worth adding we are friends and we all meet, met at the Mindspace community years okay. ago. And uh, we, we also work together on, on a number of projects in this field. So um, within that, uh, keeping that in mind, so my background is in communications. Uh, I'm CEO of EOPS of Communications. And uh, I'm really a student, first and foremost, of communications. I study it in my podcast, Speak Like a CEO, and I study it in uh, various books I've written about the subject. And we at AWIPSO focus very much on employer branding, uh, leadership and CEO communications and crisis communications. And what we've seen in recent months really is an uptick in interest in employer branding uh, compared to other forms of communication. And so I think it's very timely and topical to talk about employer branding at the moment. So I'm glad we're having this conversation. Yes, great. And as you, as you all know, I uh, started this podcast about two years ago, willing to sort of 
investigate the market in Berlin when it comes to employer branding. My background is actually in digital marketing. And during the past two, three years, I've worked as an employer branding consultant. I've also worked in recruitment marketing. With my company, BeagleCat, we carry a lot of recruitment marketing campaigns for tech companies in Berlin and in Romania. And if we are done with the introductions, I think we can get started. And um, practically the first part is going to be me asking Oliver about employer branding um, in general, about the importance of a unique value proposition as an employer. And um, yeah, I guess this, this is it. And Oliver, so the unique value proposition as an employer is clear to employees. Do you agree or disagree? Right. So that, that's an important question uh, that we would ask companies, right? So is, do, do you think it's clear to employees? Because often it isn't. So let's start with definitions. I think that's, that's an order. Mm -hmm. What is a unique value proposition for an employer? It's basically like a USP, a unique selling point for a company or product or service. You have to think very hard about why would anyone join or stay in your company? So that, that's the, the question you need to answer. And looking for your unique value proposition is just a convoluted way of saying as much. So why should anyone join? And when you have conversations with candidates and you're putting out job ads and you, you, know, you, you go through interview processes, you should be very clear about why anyone should join your company. And you, the, the process to get to your unique value proposition is very much like you know, coming up with a unique selling point for your product. And this can encompass various aspects from your market position. So if you're a market leader, uh, that could be interesting. If you just had a huge round of funding, that could be interesting for people. Maybe you have a visionary leadership team, uh, maybe your fantastic culture, your location, your compensation. So you start with all the great things about your company and then think about what's unique I would not put everything in there, but really think hard about what one or two things are really unique about the company that make you different from other companies. Mm -hmm. And it, it needs to be very um, specific to you. Uh, and it can't just be, we have a great culture, right? So you need to be, uh, you need to explain in a very few simple to understand words why your company culture is great or why your market leader or what your vision is as a company. Those things, you know, people find interesting, but they also find interest in what you do for them, of course, not just who you are. So learning environment, uh, build to grow, um, helping helping teams and people to grow and, and move through the ranks quickly. So those things are also relevant here. Mm -hmm. Do your employees need to recommend you as an employer? Do you agree or disagree? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great question. And I think they do need to recommend you. In in mar marketing, you talk of net, uh, net promoter score, right? The NPS. So any company or any product, usually at a certain size, they ask customers, would you recommend us? That's the net promoter score, NPS. And the same is actually true for employees and you should ask them, you, you should do surveys, you should always have your finger on the pulse of your people. And one of the most relevant questions is really, would you recommend us as an employer? So very important to keep track of that regularly, say once a quarter, ask that question, because you want to know whether your people would actually recommend to their friends and to their network to work for you. Because if they don't, that's that's a huge, uh, you know, huge red flag. And you, you should really dive into, okay, why is that the case? Does a company need to receive enough or want to receive enough high, high quality applications to fill their positions quickly? 
agree or disagree. Exactly. So very important question we ask. And uh, this is obviously, obviously one of the main reasons why people come to us and want to talk about employer branding. Mm -hmm. And they often, at the moment at least, in a very competitive market, don't receive enough high-quality applications, even if they go out and approach people. So it's not just about you know, putting up a job ad and waiting, because that doesn't really work at the moment. So you have to be way more active and way more direct in your approach. But still, even after an approach, do you receive enough high-quality applications to quickly fill your positions so you can grow and thrive? Because if you don't, you can't really grow. You may not even be able to replace the people who are leaving. We're living through the great resignation. So receiving enough applications is very important. And there are various ways obviously of achieving that. And I think we're having, also we're having this conversation because you need to look at this holistically. So why is that the case if you don't receive enough applications? That can be the branding part, but it can also be your culture. It can be the recruitment process or some other things. So you need to look at the whole picture that a candidate would see in order to assess uh, how you can bring up the number of high quality applications. And um, now we, we go to the last question of this first general employer branding part. Should a company run campaigns that position them as an employer? What do you think? I think so. And, and a campaign doesn't necessarily mean you do it for a few weeks and then it's off again. And maybe the next quarter you do it again. But a campaign can be evergreen. Um, the reason why I think this is important to talk about with uh, organizations is that um, you need to tell the world about your company, or not the world, but you know, the, your target audiences, a specific persona of potential employees you want to target and then run a campaign against. Why? Because otherwise they will not know what you can offer as an employer, and that's where unique value proposition comes in, because the campaign should obviously... Uh, be based on a big idea that derives from your unique value proposition. So simply put, you need to figure out why people should join your company, and then you need to run a campaign to tell them why they should join. Mm -hmm. And so they're actually aware of you and you create many touch points with that specific audience. So in a way, this is this is how you bring up the number of applications. You run a great campaign, you're very clear messaging in your campaign, and you ideally get your employees to promote you to their networks as well, so that people hear about you via various touch points. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, Oliver and Constanti, we've, we've put together the three of us, this employer branding process in which three main components are visible, right? So we talk about the importance of creating a good brand as an employer. We talk about the importance of having good values pinned down, and we talk about how important it is to have a steady and not too stuffy recruitment process in place. And this being said, Constanti, the, the next part is going to be on company culture, and it's actually my turn to answer your questions. <laughs> so please go ahead. Oh, I do love questions, but um, I'm, I'm actually going to hijack this a little bit because Oliver mentioned a few things in his answers that mm -hmm. I think are very important to mention before I start actually asking okay. you some questions. So you mentioned, Oliver, that, you know, the big a big part of this is would your employees recommend you and how you should be checking this on a regular basis i i would actually say more than regular more than a quarterly basis yeah, yeah, exactly. personally within my organization we check this on a weekly basis and there are certain tools that you can use for this such as office vibe exactly. however another key indicator of this is would your candidates recommend you and if your hiring process is 
not run in a way that enables candidates to feel comfortable with you as an employer, comfortable with you as an organization, this has a much deeper impact on your employer brand. Because ultimately, if someone has a bad experience, bad candidate experience with you, that is what they're going to be telling the market. That exactly. is what is going to be known to, to the market. Yeah, really good point. And uh, I, I like that you do this every week. I think you, you're really leading in this, obviously. Um, I think it depends a little bit on the size of the company, right? When you, If you have thousands of employees, these things tend to happen very rarely. Um, but I agree, it should, should be very regularly. How do you ask the candidates then? I mean, you can even do an NPS score with candidates following their hiring process. Right? Provided that you've had a very good, nice hiring process and that you've turned them down with a phone call or an email, you know, with, with something personalized. Well, if you didn't, then you're going to find out that they're <laughs> unhappy with the process. So you exactly. can actually do something about it. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so there is, a, there's a, there's a podcast that I did on my podcast school of hiring, where we talk a lot more about this actually with Oliver, but uh, if anyone wants to find out more, uh, have a, have a listen mm -hmm. to that. The other thing that you mentioned, Oliver, is about receiving enough applications. Now, sure, there is a need for a certain volume of applications, but I think that very often in hiring, we, we look at, you know, is your employer brand going to attract enough applications? And I think that is the wrong question. What you should be looking at is, is your employer brand going to attract to right applications because you can attract hundreds of people if they're not the people that you need to hire for your organization there's something really really wrong and this is where i actually want to begin my questions for you georgina because your company has you know clear and clear written values and a culture code yeah the mission the vision the values ideally yeah. ideally right um do you do you think that this is important? Do you do you agree with this concept? And, and how should this actually be structured within an organization? Well, ideally, I think these values should exist, should exist, period. Okay? Absolutely. And then, of course, they should be clearly stated and um, also ideally then maybe translated into some employer brand pillars if you'd like if we'd like to do things by the book. However, what I've noticed is that many times these values are placed, written down on the website and just remain somewhere in the void, these very um, depleted of meaning concepts that nobody understands and that nobody applies. And um, I, I think that in the end, values should just reflect the human side of a company and should always come down to how the employee feels like while working for a company. Should have a meaning for who, I think, is the key question. For all parties involved, of course, for the employer, but especially for the employee, I would say. And you were right in mentioning that um, every once in a while, employees should be surveyed. They should be asked, asked what it feels like for them to work in a company. Are they happy? Do they adhere to the current culture? Do they, do they feel that the values have changed? And how does the culture reflect the new values? So. Absolutely, they are important, but they, they should always, always be put in the context of how the employee feels while working for a company. 
Absolutely right. I, I couldn't agree more. Mm -hmm. However, there's also something that we, the three of us, because we've discussed this, have observed it, that very often these values, this culture mm -hmm. is set by the management. This is what our values are. This is what our culture is. Here's the great posters on the wall. And yeah. no one in the of the employees actually buys into it. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it's very important that the culture that we recognize that culture is defined by the employees, not by the management. Absolutely. And the way the three of us do it, when we, we start uh, working with, with the company, with our end-to-end -end employer branding approach, is that we start by working with the leadership team, and then we make sure that what is discussed with the leadership team is accepted and appropriated by the rest of the company. And then it's up to the HR to, to, to make sure that people are on board with everything that's being... Um, been down as, as values, as culture, as, as mission. So absolutely, it should not stay just with the leadership. It should be top down or sideways, depending on how the company works and, and is structured. So yeah, I totally agree. So my question for you is, how do you then make sure that the working environment actually reflects the company culture? How do you as the management do that? I think many times, if we, no, let's put it this way. If you if you do a survey with the leadership team before working on defining the company culture, and then you do at the same time a survey among the company, you might feel that the reality perceived by them is quite a different one. Absolutely. Right? So then you, you start to, to think, how can I put these together? How can I make sure that these people are, are all in the same boat and adhere to the same to the same concept? So um, the way to do it after you've worked on really forging that employer brand that Oliver also mentioned in, in the beginning is, like you said, Constanti, just three times a year, twice a year, five times a year, ask your employees what they feel about, how they feel about what's going on in the company. Absolutely. And I actually, I actually would argue that you need to do that more often. Even as, more often. As Oliver said, we are in the middle of the great resignation and many of us have experienced the churn of employees within our organizations over the last two years. The impact of that churn is that there is a change in how we perceive culture. So what your culture was two years ago is no longer the culture you have now because you know, 50% of your staff have turned over. And this is not an uncommon number. Actually, if only 50% have turned over in two years, you're probably you're doing something right, mm -hmm. yeah? Um, so you really need to look at this. And this brings me to, to the next question. You know, your employees need to know what the culture of an organization mm -hmm. is and need to act accordingly. So there's a, there's a fine balance here yeah. Yeah. Um, that you need to achieve. And that's the management's responsibility is to first lead the way with regards to the culture and then make sure that the culture is adhered to. But you're really winning if your employees start to be the ones that ensure that culture mm -hmm. is adhered mm -hmm. to. But I, you're the specialist on this. Am mm -hmm. I completely off? No, not at all. And I would say that the most important person to, to work with and to have in mind when starting the entire process is the person in the HR department or the team in the HR department, because in my opinion, these people have to, first of all, understand that you're there to, to help them 
so that afterwards they can convey the new values, the new messaging to the entire company, right? And this is done in, in a variety of ways, right? This can be done through a better structured or different structured recruitment process. This can be done through a variety of, of um, visual communicational cues that employees are going to see in the office. Um, this can be seen through how leadership communicates with the employees, how people in the company, in the organization communicate with each other, right? So there's, in, in my opinion, there's a long way between knowing, um, knowing the values or the company culture and actually walking the walk but it's, it's a constant process, I would say, and it's, it's a process that HR needs to initiate, and then it's a process that the entire company needs to be a part of and, yeah, needs to, to work on with time, of course. Can, can I ask a question here? Because you guys yeah. are the experts on this, but how would you phrase a value? What I often find is that they're too general, let's say empathy, but that doesn't tell me how I should behave. So how do you, how do you square that circle? I would I would phrase this one in this office or in this organization we care for one another. We help each other when we're in need. Mm-hmm. It always you're right Oliver this is a very good question it should always be doubled by a very concrete example of how that value occurs in the organization. And there are various various ways of doing them doing it um various ways in which you can um emphasize the value while always sticking to the purpose of of the company, right? Purpose of each company is also something to have in mind. I mean, the, the word specialist and the wordsmith in this room is definitely Oliver. Oliver. Absolutely. But having having gone through the process of defining mission, vision, values within my own organization, I can say that I spent a lot of time with a thesaurus yep. finding the right word that just nails it and by a lot of time i mean it took me four months to nail down that that one word that speaks what it is that we do and how we act Mm -hmm. that would be not only accepted by me most importantly accepted by by my team by my organization and would be able to be perpetuated within the organization as it grows Mm -hmm. and it's it's not an easy task i have to say I agree. And uh, so the test, the test I apply is, is, is it sticky? So what you mentioned constantly, and also is it sticky? Can I actually remember it? And is it something I would actually use in the conversation at work? So rather than saying we are numbers driven organization, we have, we have data driven decision making, you can say, have your numbers ready. And I always look for these phrases that make it sticky and very simple to communicate. And you can always come back to. Well, it's how you define the word. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, empathy can mean five different things for five different people. Right. How do you as an organization define empathy? How do you as an organization define partnership? That's right. right. How do you as an organization define ownership or responsibility or data? So there is a there is a big task there to get the team to agree. Because it doesn't matter what you as a manager think is the definition. Exactly. If the team doesn't agree with that definition, it's pointless. Right, right. Can can I ask another question? How many values do you think are good sort of ballpark number for a company to have? Three. I like three. Mm -hmm. Three is good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also married to someone who's Chinese, so 
four so is a bad number. It's a bad so number, yeah. Three is but good. Two is maybe not enough. So yeah, I would say three. Yeah. And five's a crowd. So. <laughs> and hard to remember also, right? The more they are. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I do have one last question for you. You know, and, and this actually, we, we did kind of touch on this, but, you know, it's leadership and management within the organization and the style of leadership and management within an organization needs to reflect company culture. Mm-hmm. I think we can all agree on this. Oh, yes. But to what degree, how far do you take that? How, 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 how I think is the question here, really. You know what, Constantia, I don't think it needs to reflect the company culture. I think, especially for, for smaller companies, the management and the leadership always reflects the company culture. Or the other way around, if you want, the company culture is always a reflection of the leader. Do you agree? Oh, because, yes. <laughs> because with the, the, I've worked in my life uh, with, with a lot of small companies. We used to do a lot of digital marketing campaigns for tech companies. And what I've noticed is that in smaller companies with up to, I, I don't know, 50, 70 employees, the presence and the persona of the leader, of the founder, of the CEO sometimes was so, so present that for, for most people, they were one, of the, one and the same thing. You would not separate between what the leader was as a person and then the company culture in that company and the way everybody behaved and the way everybody helped each other you know that was so evident for 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 all of us at the same time it's really easy to make mistakes when you're in that position and when you're when you're in a small company you're always under scrutiny and you always need to be attentive what you do and how you speak because everyone's gonna sort of appropriate your behavior as the company culture for larger organizations, however, I think matters are a bit more volatile. I don't know. I, I really haven't worked a lot with multinational companies, for example, but I have worked in one in my life. And my experience was that it's really, really volatile. It's really bland even sometimes. It's sometimes impossible for, for people when working in a huge environment to, to pin down a proper company culture or a company culture regardless you know what um, what it is so maybe yeah maybe oliver you have more experience with uh, with working with and in larger organizations and you can maybe give us an example for that but i would say that absolutely leadership and management should always reflect a company culture because unless we walk the walk then the rest of the company won't well it gets magnified doesn't it Oh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And it's worth pointing out if there's a discrepancy between the words, right, the values written down and the action, then people will follow the action. The action will determine the culture, not the words. And mm-hmm. this is very important to understand because sometimes and this is very toxic, but it does happen that culture is used uh, basically to, to impose one's will on people. So mm-hmm. they, the, one of the values is uh, we discuss, then commit. So disagree and then commit. Um, that someone in the organizational leadership uses that to get people to just commit, even though they disagree and say, well, now we discussed it. Now you need to commit to it. That's our value, which is obviously the opposite of what this is supposed to mean, right? So a safe culture where you can actually disagree and then find the best way forward together, not to impose your will on others. So this is where culture can become very toxic. And I think people are very fine antennas for that. So yes, leadership matters a great degree and be careful with the actions. They need to be fully aligned with the values. 
I'm really biting my tongue not to make a political statement here at this point. Do it. What do you want to say? <laughs> well, I mean, we are recording this in the first days of March of 2022. And clearly there is an international situation going right. on. Yeah. And if, if you needed a more staunch representation of what, uh, you know, discuss and commit looks like, um, then all you need to do is look at what's going on in, in Russia, where things are discussed, i.e. said, and then commitment is dictated from the top, exactly. which is why the situation is um, a, has been allowed to excel uh, to, to the current sad state it is in. Um, and, you know, on the, on the other hand, you know, there are, there are other alternative forms of government that can be, uh, that can be achieved through consensus. And we're also seeing how consensus can work on both a local, national and international level. And the effort that it can yield as well as the results that it can yield. So I think that comparison um, in the political realm is, is very staunch at the moment. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. Sorry, I took that down, down a really dark path there. Yeah. How do you, what's the segue to recruitment process? <laughs> it, this, yeah. this is tough. So let's just do it. Okay. This is a hard left turn to talk about recruitment, the recruitment process, mm -hmm. uh, if, if I may. Um, Katsuri, you, you're the expert on this very clearly. I mean, you've been recruiting and helping to recruit thousands and thousands of uh, very high profile people. And I wanted, wanted to ask you the recruitment process. In what way does it need to reflect the company culture? in the way oh the recruitment process is a direct representation of who you are as a business how you how you function how your organization communicates and what the expectations of the organization are so designing your recruitment process needs to be done with your culture in mind you know are you an organization that effectively communicates. If you say that you are an organization and among your values is effective communication, then you better make damn sure that your hiring process reflects this. So if you're missing feedback, if you're not scheduling interviews in a nice and organized way, if you are not providing information to candidates before each step of the inter interview process, that is already going against your culture as an organization. So, you know, this is something that really, sorry, that was my phone there. Um, but uh, this is something that really needs to be addressed in your hiring process. It really needs to be reflected. And there's, you know, any hiring process has multiple touch points. And when I mention touch points, people immediately think, oh, interviews, right? Interviews are touch points. Well, mm -hmm. actually, no, interviews are conversation points. And the average process that has three interview steps has 37 potential touch points with the candidate. And these touch points can be anything from scheduling an interview, doing a pre-interview check-in, providing post-interview feedback, gathering the candidate's post-interview feedback, 
communicating reading lists, communicating materials. Mm -hmm. You know, all of these touch points are opportunities for you to set the agenda of what is your mission, what is your vision, what is your culture as an organization. And it, it always baffles me why companies are not using these. You know, we're complaining about candidates not being engaged in hiring processes. We're complaining about candidates choosing other companies as places they want to work for rather than our organization. Well, the question is, what are you doing in your hiring process that actually engages people and showcases you as an organization to be the preferred employer, to be the employer of choice for them. How, how, in your experience, how many, uh, what, what proportion of Sorry. I, I just wanted to, to make one mention before I forget it, mm -hmm. because I have a lot on my mind with everything that's going on right now. I wanted to ask you, Constanti, why do all recruiters complain that they never have the time to do everything you've mentioned? Oh, yes. Is it maybe because they attract a lot of employees, most of them wrong for the company? Well, you, first of all, we need to we need to split this into in-house and agency recruitment because there are two sides to this coin, and you know recruiters are very often just put into this one bowl, and you know recruiters, and that's that's not the case because in-house in-house recruiters have a very different set of um, business focus than agency recruiters, right? In-house recruiters are dealing with usually a much wider range of positions. Mm -hmm. They're also, due to their position within the organization, a lot more reactive to the needs of the organization. Mm -hmm. They have a lot less choice about what it is that they're working on. And as a result, they are extremely time poor in terms of candidate engagement, which means that candidate engagement is very often heavily reliant on inbound applicants mm -hmm. whereas agency recruiters have a, a different set of pressures yes they do get to choose what they're working on uh, they do have the ability to say no to an organization but they are working a lot more specialist and because of this their work focuses a lot more on engagement mm -hmm. and outbound activity yep. you know as an agency recruiter if you're relying on inbound from job ads, you're, you're going to fail, right? Your job is a lot more about engaging. It is a lot more about reaching out. It is a lot more about creating a network and then keeping that network in the loop, keeping that network constantly engaged um, with you, whether they're looking or they're not looking or they require information. It is more about that. So let's not put recruiters in general in into one into one pot because that's mm -hmm. that's a little bit of an unfair one. There's very different pressures. There. Mm -hmm. okay. But why do recruiters not have the time for the engagement? I'm I'm sorry, that is not the recruiter's job. Mm -hmm. The engagement is the hiring manager's job. It is the job of everyone that is involved in the hiring process. It is not down to the recruiter to ensure that the hiring manager provides the candidate with feedback. It is not down to the recruiter to ensure that the hiring manager is able to effectively represent the company in the hiring process. That is down to the hiring manager. And this is why it is so important in the outset of any hiring process to define what is the process 
and who is responsible for what part of the engagement. How is feedback shared? How is feedback gathered? The recruiter's job is, sure, to coordinate that process, absolutely, but it is not down to the recruiter to be the only one that's doing the engagement with the candidate. An important distinction. Oliver, I'm sorry I interrupted you. You were going to ask something. Yeah, because in, in what proportion of companies actually use the recruitment process to tell the candidate who they are? Not enough. Right. It's definitely minority, right? Uh, it's definitely minority and it's such a missed opportunity. Yeah. I mean, that, I, th I think that's the takeaway here, right? So if you do this, and if I know this feels like another thing you need to do, right? If you if you're a hiring manager or you're in recruitment, but in effect, this is this is going to save you a lot of time a bit further down the line, and it's a huge opportunity to be an employer of choice. So use it. It's great that for you, it, it could be a great opportunity that most other companies are not doing this. And if you realize there's a big opportunity, then go for it. Absolutely. And look, just think about it. You know, we're, we're sitting in Berlin, so let me give some stats about Berlin, right? The average engineer in Berlin is approached actively about a new opportunity 20 times a month. Wow, that's huge. They don't care about you. They really don't. They couldn't care less because if it's not you, there's another opportunity and they just change jobs. So really, why should they engage? It is on you as the potential employer to define why that person needs to engage with you. It is on you, the potential employer, to define why you are an employer of choice. And you, as an employer of choice, need to have a brand as an employer of choice. And this is why it is so critical to have this well-defined and well-organized and embedded in everything from your hiring process to your onboarding process to your employee experience. And I think this, this starts with the first interview, right? That the interview, when I, when I talk to companies at the moment, they're still using the first interview as if they're screening or they think they, they are screening the candidate, when in fact it's the other way around, right? Yeah, no, you, you're not screening the candidate. I mean, my, my rule for first interviews is that it should be focused on 70% explaining why you are the employer of choice and 30% about ensuring that you are roughly there. I also argue that the first interview should be done by a manager. It should be a reflection of how serious the company takes you as a candidate and this is, you know, nothing against recruiters being one myself. Um, but I think it needs to come directly from as high up as possible. We're serious about you as a candidate. We want to talk to you and we have the time to spend on explaining to you why we think we're the best choice for you. Right. And then you, let's say you get to the offer stage. And what we see now is I think that more and more offers are declined, right? Yeah, I mean, the offer acceptance rate at the moment is just under 50%, so, which is pathetic. So you're saying that they walk with you through the first two, three steps, and then they decline the offer? Oh, they go through the entire hiring process. And then they decline. And then they decline the offer. Wow, mm. that's um, a lot of missed opportunity, time. Absolutely. It's a huge cost absolutely. to a business, right? It's a, it's a massive cost to the business, and I'm not necessarily talking about a financial cost, but if you consider that, you know, if you're running 
candidates through a three-step interview process and you're running seven candidates through that process yeah. and you have a 50% offer acceptance rate, right? Um, you're going to need to run 14 candidates through that process. Each of those candidates doing interviews, you're talking about anywhere between 140 to just over 200 hours of time invested into a hiring process, which does actually translate into, into money. It also translates into how much your staff is taken away from hiring, which brings us back to the conversation about, you know, do you want to be attracting volume of candidates or do you want to be attracting the right candidates? Right candidates. Mm -hmm. I would argue that anyone with their thinking hat on would prefer to interview two great candidates and make the hire, right? Which is why it also is extremely frustrating to see companies still arguing, oh, using agency recruiters is so expensive. Yeah, well, let's calculate what the cost to you is. Yeah, I mean, the cost could be as much as the business isn't growing. And what we what, what that can mean, we all know. So it could be very threatening. Well, it's opportunity cost, right? Yeah. And, and you know, maybe your competitors are growing and then you're in re-pickle, especially if you're a startup, right? So if you have a great idea and your three competitors are kind of very similar idea, you're going for it, but you can't grow because you don't find the right people, then you probably not look into a very bright future as a company. Absolutely. I mean, your people are ultimately your greatest wealth, your greatest asset yeah. as a company, yeah. which is why it's such a pity to see companies only now waking up to how important talent acquisition is and still not being, not being so far forward thinking as to consider how important retention is and you know coming from a recruiter talking about retention sounds a little bit odd but i don't want to be working with clients that are unable to retain their staff because that tells me a lot about who they are as a business and who they are as an employer so there again how important is your employer brand well there it is in in action yeah what's the number one reason uh for low retention rate at the moment um, so you've got definitely money is a part of it. Money is always a part of, of retention. It has been traditionally in our, in our surveys over the last five years, money is the number one reason people, uh, leave. Yeah. But I personally think that money is a little bit of an excuse. We all know that people don't leave the job. They leave the manager. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this again is exactly. The importance of culture and and how culture is perpetuated through management the other thing that we are seeing right now is there is a big shift in how employment functions right we went from a nine to five type of setup in an office Um, companies that are hanging on to that ideal are definitely losing out we have moved towards hybrid and remote working But ultimately, if the last two years has taught us anything, it is flexibility. And flexibility has a huge impact on our ability to retain staff. Uh, Any any company that says, right, as of 2023, we're all going back to work in the office nine to five, I can guarantee you they're going to start losing their staff very, very quickly. Because the moment they make that announcement, people are going to start looking at opportunities where they will have that flexibility, where they will be able to retain that flexibility they've developed over the last two years. Yeah. 
I guess if, if I can conclude this, this part and then we can also conclude our episode today, mm-hmm. that I, I think what a good employer brand helps with in the end is to repel the many and compel the few, as Ooh. some people say it, you know. I it's like not, that. It's not mine. I've read, read about it. Um, so yes, this this was this was really interesting talking to you today, Oliver and Constanti. Thank you for being my guests on this podcast. Where can people find you? LinkedIn, I would say. So for me, uh, first of all, thank you very much for having us and for this rather lively discussion. This was very interesting. Thanks for that. Um, I can be found on LinkedIn. I am the Managing Director and Founder of CASA. Uh, mm-hmm. My name is Konstanty Slavovsky. I also have a podcast called School of Hiring, which is available on all major podcasting platforms. So I invite you to have a listen there and uh, hopefully also engage in some of the subject matters around culture, mission, vision, mm-hmm. product vision, and what is important in the hiring process. Perfect. Oliver? Yeah, for me as well, uh, LinkedIn is probably the best uh, platform to connect with me. Oliver Aust, that's A-U-S-T. My, my podcast is called Speak Like a CEO. I've been doing it for years. So we've already had 150-odd uh, CEOs on the and, and founders like you too on uh, the podcast. So Speak Like a CEO on all the major podcasting platforms. And uh, on Amazon, for if you want to check out my books, uh, like Unignorable, where we talk a lot about personal branding rather than employer branding, but still a lot of relevant stuff in there as well. Thank you so much, guys. It was really nice talking to you today. Everybody stay tuned until next time. Bye. Thank you very much. In this episode of Employer Branding, the Inside Podcast, we covered various aspects of having a very well-defined employer brand. We spoke about the importance of a unique value proposition. We spoke about the importance of receiving many high-quality applications whenever you need to fill the positions in your organization. We spoke about company culture, about how your working environment reflects the company culture and how the leadership and management style within the organization reflects the company culture. And we also spoke about the recruitment process and how it actually gets to reflect your company culture. Tune in for more episodes. Until the next time. This was Employer Branding, the Inside Podcast. You can find our podcasts on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and content on employer branding-related themes on employerbranding.tech. Until the next time, stay tuned. Bye.